Miracle Center Christian Fellowship, Bishop Dr. Richard Murphy with this week's message. The identity or identity in worship is where we're starting today, and we're going to go from there to quality of worship. And the identity in worship, we have already covered some things in that area, such as who worship is to and where the worship goes. And so we talked from Matthew chapter 6, verse 9, when the scripture says there, as Yeshua, Jesus, when he was asked about prayer, he said, this is how you're to pray. Our Father in heaven, hallowed be thy name. So the first aspect of identifying the target in prayer, that is, dealing with the identity in prayer, is to recognize who we are praying to, and we are praying to our heavenly Father, according to Matthew chapter 6, verse 9. Would you say, identify the target? See, that's vital, to know who you're worshiping and also to know why you're worshiping. But in Psalm chapter 95, verses 6 and 7, from the New International Version, the Bible says, Come, let us bow down in worship. Let us kneel before the Lord, our Maker, for He is our God, and we are the people of His pasture, the flock under His care. So once again, dealing with identifying the target, we are to come and barach, some consider that a type of praise, but the word barach means to kneel, to kneel in adoration, to kneel in worship before Yahweh, before our God. So when we're talking about the target of worship, three things we have mentioned regarding worship. That is, number one, worship is spiritual. Number two, worship is personal. And number three, worship is corporate. Here in Psalm 95, verses 6 and 7, we can see the corporate aspect of worship. The invitation here is to come. Come, let us bow down. Bow down how? In, in, in worship. Come, let us bow down in worship. Well, who are we worshiping? He says, in addition to this, when you're bowing, kneel before the one you're worshiping. His identity, the Lord, our maker. So this is the highest being in our lives. He is our creator, our maker. He's not just somebody who's been appointed to a position. He actually made the ones that he is calling and inviting to worship him. For he is our God, verse 7 says. So not only is he our creator, but he is the supreme authority in our lives. He has not delegated out his primary responsibility and leadership. He is supreme authority over his people who are to worship him. Now this is vital because in the scriptures we see that as we are born again children of God, we have been born again, we belong to him, we are members of his royal family. Not today, but later on I will talk about the kingdom and the aspect of worship scriptures dealing with the kingdom of God, specifically with worship in the same verse. 
So we are children of God and children of his kingdom, which means we are royal heirs of our creator. We are made in his image, in his likeness. Unlike angels, unlike other creatures and what have you, we are different. We are made in his image. We are made to be like him. So in this aspect of worship, he is saying to us as his royal family, whom he has delegated authority to over the earth. He's saying to us he has not delegated his authority over us to anyone. As human beings, we have authority over the earth. Although we have a type of delegated authority from God toward one another in the offices that Yeshua Jesus gave, but that's in a sense of getting us to a place of unilateral response and movement toward God. We are all to worship him. We are all to adore him. Everyone, regardless of the rank or position or call in life, must bow down and worship the creator, our creator, our God. And then he tells us that we are the people of his pasture. That distinguishes us from angels and from animals. We are the people. So in this corporate worship, we belong to God as his very own people. Peter talks about a royal priesthood, a holy nation. We'll talk about that much later. And he says, we are the flock under his care. So he is caring for us. That is why in other forms of life, in our daily walk with him, we can cast all of our cares on him because he is the one who cares for his flock. We are the flock that's under his care. Now, when we go to the area of worship, we're targeting and identifying or identifying and targeting the object of our worship. In doing so, it is important to recognize that in worship, God himself is the center of it all. He is front and center. Worship is all about him and never about his people. Although there are some blessings and things that will happen to his people, that is not the primary motivation in worship, and that is not what worship is about. It is simply one of the outcomes of worship, such as in Exodus chapter 23, verse 25, when the scripture says, worship the Lord your God. Once again, this is identifying the target. Worship who? The Lord your God. And then it goes on to relate some of the benefits. He says, and his blessing, not blessings, but his blessing, that is the blessing, will be on your food and water. And I will take away sickness from among you. This is the New International Version. So the outcome or some of the results of worshiping the Lord our God, knowing who we are worshiping, knowing whom we are giving obeisance to, knowing the one in whom we are expending and extolling with adoration, with honor, and with the greatest esteem, knowing who he is, we are targeting him 
relating to him from the standpoint that he is the center not only of our joy, because that's about us, but he is the center of reality. He is the center of truth. He is the one that it's all about. It is all about God. If he is the center of our life, then it's all about him and not about us. Now, once again, even though the results of worship is blessings that will be on, on our food and water, that is, God provides out of worship. One of the benefits of it is provision from God. That is how we can see in the Garden of Eden when they partook of the tree that he said not to partake of, that tree represented his sovereignty. It represented his essence. Even though it was of the knowledge of good and evil, the point of it was that that was something that God had set us apart from everything else and said, you can partake humanity. Humanity can partake of any and everything else that God had created. He said, but don't partake of this particular object that I have set aside just for me. Why? When we do not partake of it, we are honoring him, we are adoring him, we are esteeming him, we are setting him apart and recognize that he is set apart from everything else. We are preferring him even above ourselves, which is the way it's supposed to be. We are always to prefer him above ourselves, because he even tells us in the New Testament, renewed covenant, to prefer one another. We are to prefer one another, but he said, prefer him. He's to be preferred above all. So with this tree, when mankind partook of that tree, they partook of God's reserved honor, respect, esteem, adoration, reverence, veneration. And they took it on themselves as if they were equal with God, or even in that sense, above God, their creator. God had already made mankind in his likeness after his own image and given mankind dominion over the earth, given mankind his, I mean, so much that mankind would spend eternity discovering and walking in and living out that which God had provided. Yet mankind decided to interfere with the one thing that God said represents him, the one thing that God reserved for him and himself alone. And so that is what worship is. Worship is reserved for God and for God alone. We can obey other people. We can submit to other people. We can praise other people. We can give thanks to other people. We can have accolades of all kinds for other people. But when it comes to worship, it's only for God, just like the tree in the Garden of Eden was for God and God alone. So is worship. So worship recognizes God as the center of everything. He is the focal point of it all. And if anything happens in our life independent of him, then we are to step away from it. We are to deny it. In fact, the scripture tells us, according to what Yeshua said, that if we are to follow him, we must deny ourselves and take up our cross daily. 
We must, he said, if a man comes after me, let him deny himself and take up the impaling stake, take up his cross daily, daily, and follow me. And so, once again, worship is not about us. It's about the creator. God, here's another one, according to John Jet before, verse Verses 23 and 24, but I'll just quote 24 today. God is spirit, and his worshipers must worship him in spirit and in truth. So not only is worship corporate, but worship is spiritual. God is spirit, and those who worship him must worship him in spirit and in truth. Now, in order to worship God corporately, we have to be able to have a personal relationship and fellowship with him. So I'll talk more about the personal aspect of worship later, but because at this particular point in time, we're coming together to worship him. And I want to focus in this session primarily on corporate and spiritual worship. Once again, going back to Psalm 95, verses 6 and 7, come, let us bow down in worship. Come, that's an invitation. Come, let us bow down in worship. And that's an invitation that we can extend to other people and absolutely make sure that there are so many people involved in worship. Our goal is 10,000, and then after that, another 10,000, and then after that, another 10,000. We are welcoming them inviting them, encouraging them to come and corporately recognize Yahweh, God Almighty, the self-existent eternal, as the center of all life and the center of reality. God is bigger than life. You've heard that said about people, but literally it is so with God. God is bigger than life. In other words, life could not exist without him. We think that life is what keeps him going. No, he is what keeps life going. That is why he has allotted a portion of life to each person, each human being. And at certain points in times, we'll transition from one body into a stage awaiting for a new body because God has given to us life eternal, and the life he has given is eternal. However, the amount of that life, the increase of that life, the quality of that life is dependent on us. Jesus came in John chapter 10, verse 10, that we might have life and have it how? So if he came that we might have life, he didn't just stop there. He said the life that he came to give us, he wants us to be able to have it, not just eternally, but to have it in abundance and yet even more abundantly. Well, we can see with people how in life there's a struggle with that. Some people have more life than other people. Some people have a greater manifestation of a lifestyle, of the presence of God in a lifestyle than other people. Just because you have life doesn't mean you know how to live. Life and living are different. You live life. You've heard, I'm going to live the life I have been given. The life I now live, I no longer live unto self, but I live it unto God. So 
We have life, but what are we doing with it? Have we created a lifestyle? Have we begun to really live? And people don't know the difference in all of those areas, but we understand the difference when we put God as the center of all things and we focus on him and we begin to worship and magnify him. We begin to exalt him in worship. Then we begin to understand it is then that we begin to understand the meaning of life. We begin to understand what life is, what life is about, what life is for. Do you realize that God made a body for you and God created you before he even breathed life into you? So you think you are the life you have. No, you are in the image and likeness of God and he gave you life. What are we doing with it? The first thing we learn to do with life is to make sure life is all about him. You've heard life is a gift, but to understand this gift of life, and those of you who are listening, you heard that life is a gift, but to understand life, you have to realize that you are not simply life. You have life, but you are God's child in the image of God. He simply gave you a gift, the primary gift that causes all the other gifts to flow in your life, and that gift is the gift of life. What are you doing with it? You keep identifying yourself as life. You are not life. Jesus is the way, the truth, and the life. You have life. Your identity is beyond life. And we find out who we are in him. We must start with worshiping God. And so we're learning many things about the Lord and about our walk with him. We're not only to be in a relationship with him, but we are to have fellowship with him. And there are stages of fellowship. But if we don't understand what we have been given, starting with life itself, if we don't understand life and the meaning of life, what is the meaning of the life he has given you, the portion that he has given you that causes you to move and walk about and live and have your being? What is that given to you for? If we don't understand him, we will not understand our purpose. We will not understand why we were created. We will not understand why he put life into his creation. But you have to start, first of all, by recognizing that the life you have is not simply who you are. It is a gift from God. You are the image and likeness of God. Life is his first major gift to you. And we keep getting it confused. So we must recognize that it's all about him. This is where worship starts. See, if the globe is to be transmuted, if the world is to be transmuted into the culture, customs, and lifestyle of God and God's kingdom, we have to understand what we have. We have to understand who we are what we are, and the gifts that have been given to us. And therefore, light came into the world, and light has changed us. In the form of Jesus Christ in his physical body, we can see another manifestation and clarification of life. But before <laughs> life was given to us, God is, and God had and has life. 
Let me take you to something else here. Under identifying the target, we want to look at the importance of recognizing and acknowledging the value of the one worshipped. So when we identify the target, we want to recognize and acknowledge the value of this target. We're identifying the target of our worship. Now let's recognize the value of the target of our worship and let's acknowledge the value of the target of our worship. First Chronicles chapter 29, verse 11, New International Version says, Yours, Lord, is the greatness and the power and the glory and the majesty and the splendor for everything in heaven and earth is yours. Yours, Lord, is the kingdom. You are exalted as head over all. Second Samuel chapter 7, verse 22, how great you are, sovereign Lord. There is no one like you, and there is no God but you, as we have heard with our own ears. And then Romans chapter 11, verse 36, still from the New International Version, for from him and through him and for him are all things. To him be the glory forever. Amen. So to make it personal to him, we would say, for from you and through you and for you are all things. To you be the glory forever. Amen. When we recognize and acknowledge his value, which is what worship is, a part of worship, when we do that, then it becomes easier to focus on him. It's easier to respect him when we know his value. It's easier to esteem him when we have an understanding of his true value and his essence. There are things we prize in life because of its value. We protect it, we secure it more than other things. Normally, you would have regular silverware out, but if you had literally gold silverware or diamond silverware, you would have that in a safe someplace. Normally, you may leave out a quarter or 50 cents or a couple of dollars, but you will not walk out of your house and leave the doors unlocked with $5 million on the table. Why? Because of its value. And so when we recognize God's value, we then exalt him accordingly. Once again, making it all about him and not about us. Because in worship, which is different from praise and all of the other types of prayer, of which in some of those types of prayer, such as petition and intercession, it is about us. And there, there's the, the category where God wants it to be about us. But it is never to be about us until, first of all, it is all about him. If we make it all about him, then he will make it about us. It is our business and our responsibility to always make sure that every action, every thought, every detailed aspect of our life is flowing from the center, from God himself, from the presence, the power, and the person, the essence of God himself. So it is never about my own personal agenda. 
When that happens, I then am putting myself in his place. It is to be about him. And when it is about him, then the Garden of Eden is reestablished in our life. And we begin to move beyond what Adam and Eve walked in. We begin to fulfill the plan of God. Even to the point, like Psalm chapter 2 talks about, even just going back to an element of praise. There's a distinction between worship and praise. But in Psalm chapter 22, verse 3, when God says he enthrones himself, he yeshavs in the Aramaic, he enthrones himself on the praises of his people. Now we know that heaven is his throne and earth is his ottoman, his footstool, according to the scriptures. But he enthrones himself on our praises. So when we praise him, we bring God's throne from heaven. We connect heaven to earth. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. That's by enthroning him. Our praise creates a portable throne for God. It's like the throne that is heaven. Heaven is his throne. Heaven comes to earth. And heaven hovers over us in our praise unites with heaven, and that's one of the ways that we become one. I pray, Father, that they are one even as we're one. That's how we become one with him and one with one another. It's through our worship and through our praise, through, through elements of prayer, we enthrone God. And that puts God in a position of rulership and reigning. He rules and reigns when he is enthroned. He can make orders from his throne. In fact, it says he sets an ambushment against our enemies there, and he deals with our enemies. Getting back to the worship aspect, we want to recognize and acknowledge the value of the one worship. And there's so much more that I could talk about in regards to that, but I want to go now to the quality, to quality of worship. Quality worship. Quality worship. And I believe that at this point, um, I'm out of time, so I will just have to pick up here next week. Did you get an understanding out of this? Would you applaud to the Lord if you did? <laughs> Hallelujah. Well, God bless you, and those of you who are listening wherever you are, I want you to know that you can enter into the worship of God. You can make it all about him. And when you make it all about him, God will make it all about you. Thanks for listening. Stay connected at facebook.com forward slash Miracle Center Christian Fellowship.